Hi, this is Sibling and Abuse, part four, and uh, someone posted something on the message board, which I'll read uh, before continuing. Sorry, that was only going to be three parts, but uh, I had a good idea, and uh, somebody pointed out something uh, that's an extension on, or I guess more detail, about what I was saying about the original role of Lucifer. So he writes, more needs to be said about Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer. In Hebrew mythology, as Steph pointed out, he is a kind of advocate for God, but of a very special sort. Other angels existed to tell mankind all about God and to advise them as to how to behave, but Satan had a slightly saltier role. The word Satan itself from the Hebrew, ha-satan, means adversary or bearer of adversity. Satan's whole job as an angel in the Hebrew legend was to act as an agent of adversity on behalf of God, in order to test his creation. He was tasked by God to screw things up for us. For an example of this, see either the book of Job, rewritten in Christian mythology to appear more like a kind of duel between them, or see the story of Balaam in Numbers 22. In the Lucifer incarnation, the devil is also the bearer of forbidden knowledge, and in Christian mythology a symbol of the sinfulness of pride. Though scripturally this isn't so clear, there are numerous stories in Greek and the Old English mythology, see the story of Venus, for example, to sustain this image of him in the modern psyche. So, in a sense, and I think this fits very closely with the theory, um, and just you know, just before we dive into that, I mean, I think people are, may, may, may be, and I had a few emails to this effect, uh, sort of say, well, you know, what is the value of this sort of analysis? How do we know whether it's true or false? Well, I think there is some objectivity in the art, in art and in um, mythology, although it's not syllogistical or perhaps even mathematical, right? So, is Bohemian Rhapsody a better song than the B-side I'm in love with my car or the B-side of Under Pressure called Soul Brother, which is a pretty wretched effort, although good vocals. I mean, can you objectively prove that Bohemian Rhapsody is a better song than Soul Brother by Queen? Or um, <laughs> something equally bad like uh, Stealing? Well, no, you can't mathematically. But, but, but we know, right? <laughs> we kind of know. You can't mathematically prove that The Sixth Sense is a better movie than Plan 9 from Outer Space. But we recognize that uh, it does seem to be the case. And uh, there are very few people who would argue to the contrary, and nobody who would do so seriously. Uh, is Shakespeare uh, a more complex, deep, and resonant writer than John Grisham? Can you prove that mathematically? No, but uh, we guess. We guess you could count the number of syllables and so on. Um, but anyway, I think we sort of understand that, I mean, is, is John Grisham more challenging philosophically than uh, Ayn Rand? Well, no. Uh, and you could prove this to some degree with some word analysis and so on, but there is a way of evaluating things. Is uh, Henri a better painter than my daughter? Well, so far, yes. So you can say some intelligent things about trends in, in art, and what we are here is examining the kind of art and psychology. But we don't, uh, we don't, it doesn't rise to syllogistical or empirical proof, but we do look for patterns. And patterns within the mind must be explained. Must be explained by something. Must be explained by something. If they're pretty common and universal. So, in the instance of um, what this gentleman is quoting, he's pointing out that uh, Satan is the bringer of adversity. Now, since of course God did not create Satan and Satan doesn't exist, it must have been not a push principle but a pull principle. 
right? A push principle is something imposed from the outside, right? Like, um, be at work by nine, uh, or whatever, right? A pull principle is something that is, um, uh, sorry, a push principle is something that uh, is um, uh, generated from uh, from inside. Uh, I like to paint, or whatever, right? And since there is no God, we must look for the universality of these systems, of these uh, repetitive imagery, imageries. We must look for it as serving some particular need within the human mind. That need cannot be purely internally generated, because it is universal. And since I don't believe in the existence of a collective unconscious, there must be something that is general about it. So, we have, of course, the problem in religion, which is foundational, old, and a really boring one, but worth mentioning in this context. God is all perfect, God is all good, but we're all dying of tooth decay at the age of 22. And, you know, half the women die in childbirth over the course of their life, and, you know, three-quarters of the kids die before the age of five, and you get ulcers and abscesses and cancers and rickets and gout and, you know, all the shit that goes on. We starve to death pretty regularly, bats of disease. And so, when you have a fantasy of virtue in a situation of evil, um, the only way that you can maintain the fantasy of virtue is for there to be a scapegoat or a stand-in which uh, explains the uh, the evil, right? And uh, in, uh, I guess, in, in Hebrew mythology, uh, Satan is uh, the test, right? So God is all good, and God gives you these tests. And uh, so it's God's love that creates the evil that you have to suffer because, and it's all kind of nutty, but it makes sense in the context of ancient Jewish or ancient world in general patriarchies. I beat you because I love you. And the reason that this works, I think, from a psychological standpoint, is that to maintain the virtue of the parents, somebody else must substitute for the ills that they are that are all around you so if you're some you know the seventh son of a seventh son as the blues songs say if you're some younger sibling in a big family and you know all the ills and beatings and teasings and manipulations and brain twists of the world are descending upon you from the family structure you can either say well gee my parents are doing a really bad job of creating a positive functional and loving environment and that brings you perilously close to the idea that uh, your parents are bad. And unfortunately, and you can read more of uh, Dumas' stuff for this, the psychohistory stuff, unfortunately, given that infanticide was so common throughout history, children who displeased their parents would very often just be abandoned or killed. And uh, so it really wasn't... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't productive or possible for children to stand up against their parents. It is a massive taboo because it was so often fatal. 
or if not fatal directly, fatal indirectly, in that you know the parent would give the more food to the favorite children and the less food to the least favorite children. The parents would want to cuddle by the fire with the favorite children and would not want to cuddle by the fire in the cold with the least favorite children, so you'd freeze to death or starve to death or just generally get weaker or whatever. So, I mean, you understand this is why the taboo has remained so powerful even into the modern world. But questioning the virtue of parents is... Uh, arouses like life and death, fight and flight anxiety for a lot of people, because that's just how we evolved. And to question that it renders us exceedingly, exceedingly anxious. I mean, I know that's the case. That was the case for me when I was going through it. I mean, it's very, very scary. Uh, it is a real taboo, and it's rooted in our biological makeup. Now, that doesn't mean that I excuse people who don't confront their fears about this taboo, because We've been able to do it with women, right? Violence against women. And so, of course, we should extend those principles despite our anxieties to children, where it's even more important, particularly those who say they're devoted to the health and peace of the world. But when you have an evil situation to maintain the virtue of parents and to maintain the virtue of God, you have to invent an evil trickster, a Loki at best, and a Lucifer in the middle and a Christian Satan at, uh, at worst. And that's how you maintain the virtue of the parents and the virtue of God, is you invent another being who is responsible for the ills and evils uh, of the world, right? So when things go bad in the government for statists, they blame the corporations, you see. They blame Walmart, right? They can't, or, or they'll blame the, the party in power. Uh, they can never blame the principle of coercion that is the foundation of statism. And when things go bad in the world. Religious people can't blame God, of course, because that would be to question the virtue of God and the whole foundation of their propaganda. What they have to do is they have to invent someone else to blame. And in religion, uh, it's all sibling blame, right? So the elder sibling is uh, Satan and the younger sibling is humanity. And so it is, uh, it is Satan's attacks or temptations of the uh, of the younger sibling, which is responsible for the evil, and fundamentally it is the fault of the younger sibling, right? I mean, blame the victim is absolutely essential for uh, destructive families and for statism and for religion. Blame the victim is, you know, blame the insurance companies for attempting to survive in an increasingly tax-heavy, hyper-regulated random fiat currency smashed up in terms of the value of money currency uh, like society. They're just trying to sort of survive, and you blame them, right? Not the government, right? You blame the, the brokers on Wall Street for not wanting to give up a million dollars of easy money, which, of course, very few people would ever do, uh, rather than the system which creates those incentives. So blame the victim is always the case. And in uh, in religion, blame the victim translates into... Well, um, humanity is the fault, Lucifer is the result. Right. And this goes all the way through to, through to modern times. I mean, certainly in my case, uh, I was always accused of uh, playing the victim and uh, uh, blaming other people for my troubles and, uh, you know, all the usual stuff that goes on in dysfunctional families. Uh, and that goes all the way through to the present that you blame the victim. So you've got 
Satan, you've got God, and you've got humanity. And who is responsible for the ills of the world? Why, humanity, of course. And uh, Satan is merely the effect of the human succumbing of humans succumbing to temptation and to evil. And that fits, uh, I think, very well within the uh, within the metaphor. So, in general, then, wherever you have an absolute power, a non-power, and an intermediate power, parents, younger sibling, elder siblings, the younger sibling, in order to preserve the illusion of the virtue of the greater power, of the parents, is going to pretend that the evil he is experiencing comes from the middle power, from the elder sibling, and that he must appeal to the parent in order to protect himself from the evil elder sibling. And we see this repeated over and over again in human thought. Corporations are oppressing me. I need to appeal to the government to protect me from corporations. But the reality, of course, psychologically, is that the parents create the abuses of the elder sibling by being abusive themselves, as we've heard about in the last podcast which detailed the literature. And this is why it doesn't work, right? So you appeal to the parents to save you from the evil elder sibling, but it's the parents who are responsible for the evil of the elder sibling, because children aren't fundamentally morally responsible, at least relative to parents. So that's on the one side. Now, on the other side, I think, is an interesting phenomenon as well, which is what about the elder siblings? Well, I would say that certain punitive forms of libertarianism or republicanism which blame the victim are the elder sibling slash parent response to the vulnerability of the youngest siblings. And when the youngest sibling is hurt or upset or thwarted or stalled somehow, then as a result of the actions of the parent and the elder sibling, the temptation is to blame the younger sibling as if everything is equal. In this way, the Republicans blame the poor for being poor, blame the blacks for being in ghettos, right? Blame uh, the um, uh, blame women for making less money and so on. And this is very interesting, right? So blame the victim occurs from the parents, the collusion between the parents and the elder sibling and the poor, the stand-in for the younger sibling. And then the younger siblings say, well, I need the state to protect me from rapacious corporations and polluters and so on. And of course, the government produces corporations and polices and regulates them already. So if corporations are doing evil and the government is far more powerful than the corporations and regulates all the corporations, then clearly it's the corporations that are not at fault and the government that is at fault since it has all the power. But it is far easier to blame an elder sibling and excuse the parents than it is to place the blame where property relies for evil within the family, which is on the parents and the grandparents and the extended family and all of the adults. Right. So I sort of wanted to point that out, that the blame the victim that occurs where entitled, pompous, wealthy white kids pat themselves on the back for being born on third base and thinking they've hit a home run rather than having empathy and sympathy for those who are born in horrendous circumstances and um, having some, some charitable impulses towards them as opposed to the self-made man, right? The uh, rags, the riches, the land of opportunity, and so on. Well, of course, we've seen with child abuse that the uh, starting block is far from equal. Far from equal. And uh, so I hope that that... Uh, the, the idea that everything is equal despite abuse 
is um, the, the lie of the parents slash elder siblings when looking upon the destruction of the younger siblings. You know, we're doing fine. Everything's equal. You have failed. You have made a mistake. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let's move on to what I think is a real clincher to this argument. Right? So you want to be able to have a theory that explains disparate, seemingly unrelated, but exceedingly powerful phenomenon, particularly a phenomenon of opposites. And so let me give you what I think is a really great clincher that uh, occurred to me yesterday while mulling over these topics. So the general theory would be, and this is not specific to the sibling thing, but this is a general theory of self-knowledge that I work with, that uh, all unprocessed trauma must find a root somewhere. And if it does not find a root in the truth, which it almost never will, if it is unprocessed, that's the very definition of unprocessed. If it does not find its root in the truth, then it will find its root in mythology, uh, the mythology of nationalism, of racism, of collectivism, of religion, superstition, and so on. If trauma is not processed, then it will find substitutes in mythology. Now, if that's the case, and sibling abuse is the last great unprocessed trauma of society, then... It is able, the theory is able to explain an extremely interesting set of phenomenon that occur within the realm of libertarianism to Marxism. So, Satan is a stand-in for the sibling. God is a stand-in for the parent. Corporations are a stand-in for the elder sibling. The state is a stand-in for the poor. Sorry, the state is a stand-in for the parents. If that's true, then it explains with chillingly beautiful delicacy the following phenomenon. We would then expect, if this is true, that those who had unprocessed sibling trauma would be very drawn to these mythologies. And we would also find that those who were more religious would tend to be less critical of corporations. Why? Because they have the big receptacle, the big black bag of Satan to put all their sibling trauma into, to project all their sibling trauma into. So they will be, the more religious they are, the more in general they will tend to be free market, uh, less afraid of corporations, because corporations don't have the projection of sibling abuse and therefore... They're less afraid. However, Satan and God, right, has all the projections. In the same way, the more religious that people are, to some degree, it would explain why more religious people tend to be less statist. Because, I mean, in the modern world, I know I've had arguments against that throughout history, but in in sort of the modern American libertarian paradigm, because they have a big gas bag called God to place all their parental projections into, and therefore they can look upon the state as a thing itself, rather than a big bag of emotional projection. So they can criticize the state because they're not unconsciously criticizing their parents. But if you criticize God, they get very angry and offended because then you are criticizing their parents. If you're saying God is not virtuous, they hear my parents are not virtuous at an unconscious level. But because they don't project that onto the state, they can criticize the state very heavily. On the other hand, you would then assume that people who were not religious, but who were also drawn to this same paradigm for reasons we've discussed, 
that they, because they don't have God and Satan to project their parental-slash-sibling abuses into, that they would be far more ferocious about the existing state and existing corporations. You see? It's a, it's a diagonal, right? So if you're religious, you can project parent siblings into God and Satan, and therefore you can talk about the state and corporations slightly more objectively, well, actually quite a bit more objectively. On the other hand, if you are an, an atheist or agnostic or a skeptic or a rationalist or you're just not a fundamentalist, then you don't have the big bag of God to ralph up your projections into. Therefore, they have to go somewhere else. They have to go somewhere else. Which explains why the more secular, humanistic, left-wing-slash-Marxist cadres within society tend to be so virulently anti-corporate and anti-current state. And I think that is such a powerful explanation that it lends to me enormous weight to the theory. And I think that it comes about as close as a theory can be in this realm to be valid or proven. Again, it's, it's not syllogistic. Uh, it's, uh, it would require a significant empirical amount of research to figure all of this stuff out. And uh, you would have to have a lot of truths about the families of famous people that they probably never, ever spoke about. So I think that's a no-go. <laughs> I think that we won't get that kind of empirical information. Uh, you can get it through introspection and through honest conversations with those around you. But let me just run through that once more. So important, and I'm sorry to, I'm sure you've got it, but just for my own <laughs> sake of my own conscience, right? So your parental-slash-sibling trauma has to go somewhere. The more it goes into the state, the less it needs to go into religion, which is why Marxists were virulently anti-capitalist, anti-corporatist, anti-democratic, existing quasi-monarchic governments within uh, Europe at the 19th century. They had given up on God, and therefore, like a massive sloshing tidal wave from one side to the other, leaving the left hand of the ocean dry and the right hand of the ocean submerged and <laughs> the shore to a hundred miles, all of the projection sloshes out of God and into the, slates, the state slash corporations, which is why Marxists are so virulently anti-capitalist, because the capitalist is the sibling and the state is the parent. Right? And it's why they focus so much of their rage on the capitalist, because the capitalist is the intermediate power, with more power than the worker, but less power than the state. But they can't focus on the evils of the state, because if they focus on the evils of the state, they have no solution, because their solution is an ultimate state. Right? So the Marxists have to go that way, whereas the libertarians, who are very, very largely fundamentalist, or at least specifically Christian, and to some degree Jewish, but religious for sure, or heavily involved in religiosity. The libertarians don't have the same hate on for corporations and the state because they can put all of their history and their trauma and their repressed experiences of evil into God and the devil. And I think that explains so much that the theory can be advanced with a great degree of certainty.